0: With the screens off and the iPods stowed away with nobody around, with no distractions, no TV, no football, just you alone with your thoughts, are you at peace with yourself? Are you at peace? Well, would you like to be? Let's consider that from the word of God in Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 30. Hear God's word this morning. And from there he rose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the little children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, for this word, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. May God bless us through this, his holy word. Let us pray. Father, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Open our eyes to behold wonders through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Self-help books began even in the late 1800s. I didn't realize this until I I looked it up. I googled it. And uh, self-help books date all the way back to the 19th century. Now, they really started to proliferate in the 1970s. Self-help books are good for some things. They're good for parts. They're good for what and how, and they're even good for why, like ways to improve ourselves. But you know what they're not very good about? They're not really good for who. Now, what what I mean, here's Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, great, great self-help book. Great book, aimed at helping form habits that that help us with how and, and why and some of the what's of life. But there's another self-help book that really cracks me up, uh, and it's called I'm Okay, You're Okay. Have you heard of this book before? I'm Okay, You're Okay. I'm Okay, You're Okay. It was uh, trendy in the early 70s. Uh, around this idea of transactional analysis. And the problem is, the problem is that self-help just doesn't do much when it comes to <laughs> who is this person that can't, even that when I know what I need to do and I know how to do it and I, I, I sometimes even know why I don't do it, who is this person that doesn't do it anyway? I mean, we, we can know what we need to do. And Paul says, why, why, who is this person <laughs> that, that knows the things to do but doesn't do them, that knows what not to do but does them? Who is this person? Self-help cannot touch that. So how do we find freedom in those quiet moments when we're alone with that who? how do we how do we rec- how do we come to recognize that that what christianity is offering and how do we how do we receive it that the book title should say this i'm not okay and you're not okay but that's okay how do we get there well this morning let's take a look at this passage in terms of the freedom from our illusions when we go deeper that's the sentence freedom from our illusions when we go deeper. The first freedom. Freedom from our own program. Freedom from do-it-yourself. Freedom from the permission to go it alone. Freedom from DYI religion. Do-it-yourself religion. Freedom from the, the creating our own standard and then trying to measure up to it because we don't measure up to it by any standard. Freedom. From do it yourself. Now, see, here's a woman from the north, right? She's a Yankee, all right? She's a Yankee. I remember when I moved to North Carolina for, for a short period of time, I was, a, I was a, an actual Yankee, all right? And y'all didn't know this about me, but loved me anyway. She was a Yankee. She was kind of, she was from, from the area of Tyre and Sidon, sort of northern part of the kingdom, much closer to Greece. She spoke Greek. And so this whole conversation took place in the Greek language. She was closer to Greece, and that means that, that she was all, that, you know, Greece at the time had, like, thousands and thousands of YouTube vi- videos, you know, during this period of time when the Syrophoenician woman was walking around with Jesus. They had thousands of YouTube vi- videos on do-it-yourself religion. Just kind of create your own meaning in life. Create your own moral standards and, uh, and live by those it turns out that this, even this, even creating our own standard is a tyranny. It's a tyranny. You, you think of, uh, like for example, when, when we think of all this proliferation of, 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 of religions and do-it-yourself spirituality, think of Paul's speech on Mars Hill in Acts 17. You know, he, he's walking around, he says, men of Athens, I see that you all are very religious. He, he, he saw altar after altar after altar, and then he says, I, I even found an altar to an unknown God. It's like, you know, let, let's just make sure we're covering our fannies here. You know, just in case that God in particular shows up, we've got, we've got that covered. Yeah, that one's yours. Just hundreds and hundreds of different altars. People just creating their own religions, creating their own approach to spirituality. Creating their own standard. And as a result, see, here, here's the thing. Make this connection. Connect these dots. If, if you're in charge of God, you're in charge of everything, right? If you're creating your own God, if you're, if you're making that calf, you're in charge of God. That means you have permission to do anything you want. That means you have the right to set your own standards and try to live up to those. How does that work? I think what this woman is discovering is, it doesn't work very well. It always makes me think of what, what was growing up. My favorite movie, *Chariots of Fire*. I've, I've told you that's my favorite movie, but I never told—I've never told you that I tried to get my children to like it. I don't think I ever told you a story of that I try to get you, my children to like my favorite movie, *Chariots of Fire*. It's not Marvel, people. I'm telling you, it's not Marvel. It's very slow. There's not a lot of action, right? Um, you know, nobody gets shot. Uh, nobody flies anywhere. Uh, but it's an amazing story between uh, between a guy who's living by grace and a guy who's living by his own standards. Harold Abrams is the guy who's living by his own standards, but he can't even meet his own standards. Or when he does meet his own standards, he's left wondering, who am I? He, famous line in this where he's trying to qualify for the 1924 Olympics, and He's running the 100-meter dash, and, uh, and he wins. But before the race, he says to his, his friends, he says, I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. You hear that? I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. How are you trying to justify your existence? How are you trying to do it? I have 10 lonely seconds to justify my existence. And then there's this, this you know, slow motion where he breaks the tape, and it's almost painful because you think, well, he did it. And then it shows him, in the, shows him with, with all the other sprinters in the locker room, and somebody's all excited for him. They want, he wants to go up and celebrate with him, and, uh, and somebody grabs him and says, no, 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 let him have his space. Someday you're going to win, and you're going to see just how, how painful it is. The implication is that even if we are in charge, even if it's do-it-yourself religion, even if we get to set our own standards and meet them, we're still left saying, who am I? Who is this person? I'm like a fish out of water, still dissatisfied, still ill at ease, not at peace with my own thoughts. And see, the Phoenician woman understood this. And she was ready. She was ready to take another step, the second step in, in our path today, and that is to lay down her illusions. To lay them down. To lay down her illusions. Because do it yourself, and meeting your own standards, even when you do occasionally meet your own standards, she recognized it wasn't enough. It's not enough for a broken world. It's not enough for her daughter. It's not enough for herself. And she was ready to take a step and lay down her illusions, free to admit, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. How did she get this freedom to lay down her illusions? Well, there's a hint in verse 25. How did she get the freedom to say, you know what, I'm not okay? How do you get the freedom? Where do you get the freedom? To say, you know what, I'm not okay after all. The hint in verse 25 is this. She fell down at his feet. She fell down at his feet. She worshiped him. There are no illusions at Jesus' feet. There are no illusions in the presence of God. There are no illusions. You you, you sort of think of the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, right? And the Pharisee is saying... Lord, I thank you that I, right, I, I, me, me, right? And then the tax collector is beating himself and he's saying, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, Jesus is suddenly seeing that he doesn't have to tell a parable. This woman has become the parable. He's gone up to this region. He's he's sort of taken a step back and a deep breath and his disciples are around him and he's in this place that's closer, a lot closer to this the, the chaos of do-it-yourself religion. And he's he's trying to tuck himself away, and here's a woman, and then suddenly he realizes here is a parable, a living parable right in front of us. She's gonna tell the story today of who I am, what I've come to do, and what a human being can be at my feet. She's like, she's like the tax collector among the Pharisees. And she's saying, woe is me. It, it, same thing when, when you walk into Mary and Martha's house and Mary is scurrying around and she's trying to earn favor and she's constantly trying to live up to some kind of standards, trying to please everybody, right? Certainly trying to please Jesus. And what does Mary do? She sits at his feet. And Jesus praises her for it. Same thing when you look at the Old Testament, when Isaiah he, he hears the angels singing, holy, holy, holy. And he says what? Isaiah says, woe is me. I am ruined in the presence of God. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. <laughs> what does Peter do when he recognizes who Jesus is? He says, get away from me, Lord. His instinct is, Let me put some distance here. I am unworthy to be in your presence. What does does Job say after all of the comforting, after all of the questioning, after all of the prayers, after all of the suffering, after all the big, deep questions, after all the darkness? He says this. I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. I heard of you, By the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? We don't want to despise ourselves, do we? Hang in there. What does Paul do? He sees in the presence of God. he, He sees who he is. The scales fall from his eyes. He recognizes who he is in the presence of God. And what does he say? What does he say? After all the beatings, after all of, all of uh, the trials that he went through, after everything he, he did, after all of the, the pouring out of his life, he continued to say what? With confidence. I am the chief of sinners. Well, what's this all about? Laying down our illusions about ourselves. Where do we get the freedom to lay down those illusions? You know, every, every now and then I hear somebody say, you know, I'm a good Christian or I'm not a good Christian or she's a good Christian. It's like they're, they're sort of like rankings of Christians. Did, were you aware of this? You know, how do you, where do you rank? Are you aware, you know, that there, there are different ranks and levels of Christianity? Like, there are good ones, there are bad ones, mediocre ones, I don't know. Is that how it goes? You know, there are a couple books on this church called Saints and Sinners, Volume 1 and 2. You know that those are the same people, right? (laughs) That was a joke, people. Saints and sinners, they're the same people. They're no good Christians. There's no qualifier for a Christian. There's no qualifier. They're only people who know. who they are in the presence of a holy God. And it's not good. It's not good. You know, it's a little like, it's a little like this. If, if you have a serious diagnosis, right? Let's just say it's the it's cancer diagnosis. Does the doctor say, you know, I, I really don't want to hurt your feelings. And I, I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. Right? But you have a disease, right? No, he didn't say that. Yeah, I don't want to hurt your your self-esteem or your your sense of, uh, you know, importance and dignity, but you have cancer. No, (laughs) it just says, this is the deal. We've got to deal with this. We've got to deal with the real problem. We've got to name the real problem. See, she, this woman, is willing to lay down her illusions because she recognizes the problem is much bigger much bigger than just not meeting her standards or anybody's standards, that there isn't a standard by any standard. It's woe is me in the presence of a holy God. This is what she's come to recognize. She had the gall to come before the presence of Jesus, but she put herself at his feet and lay down her illusions. Why is that? Because somehow... Something in his presence and something about his look and something about who she understood him to be was inviting her to be there. And you say, well, it doesn't sound very inviting. He calls her a dog. (laughs) Did you catch that? He called her a dog. Well, let's see, she has the freedom to go deeper than just her illusions about herself. She's not only willing to lay down her illusions, but to trust that there's something more, that there's some greater identity. There's a who that she doesn't have yet, and she wants it. She recognizes that it doesn't matter what standard she meets, it's not going to be enough that even if she meets those standards, that she's still going to be dealing with this who am I question, the great question, this person who's not okay, the person who's ill at ease with her own thoughts, she wants it. She's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. She's trusting that there's something more. There's a bigger identity. There's a different identity. And that's, that's the next step that, that she takes here, is that because she's willing to lay down her illusions about herself, that she's ever going to meet any kind of standard, even her own standard, she, she trusts that there's a deeper identity She's wanting to go deeper and to go from, and here it is, from who she is to whose she is. She's going from who in all her claims to whose that, as we said earlier, as we talked through the Heidelberg question one, catechism question one, I am not my own. But belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his precious blood has fully satisfied, has fully paid for all my sin. Whose is what she's becoming? Not who she's becoming, but whose. She's trading it out. As we say when we have communion, a magnificent exchange of our sin, for his righteousness. She's recognizing it. She says, uh, "She says, um, would you do this for me? Like She's even pleading on behalf of somebody else, her daughter. And he says, it's not right. It's not right. Verse 27 and 28, to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He calls her a dog. And this isn't like Okay, but she changes it and calls it puppy now. Some some commentators will dress this up and says, "Well, he really meant puppy too." Like, so she says, "Well, I what if I'm just sort of a, you know, here's my little tender underbelly and you know, you sort of picture that puppy when they they want to my, my in my family, we used to call it FTE, full tummy exposure, all right? Full tummy exposure, right? Just like, "Rub my little belly. I'm not threatening anybody." It, some some commentators try to dress this up and make it sound like Jesus is saying, "You know, you know, it's it's not right to 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 give it to the dogs first. We got, but she he does say, first, and it gives her a little bit of an opening. Like first, well, maybe there's something here for me, right? But he he still calls her a dog, but then she changes it to puppy, right? Puppy under the table. What's what's going on? Ff. Bruce says that Jesus has a twinkle in his eye, and I think that's what's going on when he says it. He's saying, let's see if you're satisfied with who or if you're willing to have a new identity, whose? Let's see if you're still clinging to some sense of dignity that you can cobble together on your own, do it yourself, or if you're willing to lay down not only your illusions, but your very self, your very life, and to have a new one. He said, "Well, that, it's still. I, I'm not sure that solves the whole problem. This is very insulting, and it, it's hard for me to imagine Jesus being insulting. This is like a, a racial slur. You know, isn't this like? Well, well, here's here's where he's here's where he's going. It, it's kind of like he's saying this. Let's play a game. I'm going to play the role of the rabbi who's all the way at the top of the social ladder, and you're uh you're this this cur. You're you're a you're a you're a woman in the." Uh, Gentile region, somebody who is in the context of of this whole passage uh, tells us, somebody who is unclean. The whole context is about what's clean and what's unclean. He's saying, you're not even on the ladder. I'm at the top of the ladder. I'm going to play that role. And you're going to play the role of the person at the bottom of the pile. Let's play this game. And let's see whether or not in feigning these roles, whether or not we can find you a better way forward, a better identity, not a who, but a whose. Let's bring this all the way into today. Many of you have probably heard about this, uh, what they're calling a revival up in Kentucky at Asbury College, Asbury University. There's a seminary there. Uh, it's led by a name, man named Timothy Tennant. This is a worship service that's been going on for over a week. Are you aware of this? And students came, and, um, and they had a chapel service, and there was a talk, as it normally is, and then um, something happened after that service. Students hung around. I'm going to get to what happened, I think happened in just a minute. Well, I heard happened and the significance of it in just a minute. But let me, let me read to you from Timothy Tennant's statement, the, the president of the seminary, the Divinity School part of the university. Uh, He says, Despite the endless coverage in media calling this a revival, I think it's wise to see this at its current phase as an awakening. An awakening. Only if we see lasting transformation which shakes the comfortable foundations of the church and truly brings us all to a new and deeper place, can we look back in hindsight and say, yes, this has been a revival. Lasting transformation in the lives of those who are being touched by God. Now, that's a revival. We all love mountaintop experiences, but we also know that it must be lived out in the normal rhythms of life. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, just take care. here's Jesus going around. He's earning a reputation for doing signs and wonders. And he's asking this woman, do you just want a day at the amusement park? Do you want a day at the fair? Am I a Pez dispenser to you of miracles? Or do you want something deeper? Do you want signs and wonders? Or do you want to repent? And see, this is what happened. What triggered this awakening up in Kentucky at Asbury was a boy who lingered, a young man who lingered, and said, I've gotta tell you, I feel a sense of conviction about who I am and who I'm not. And I'd like to confess that. And he did, boldly. (laughs) I mean, to be called, to call yourself a dog, (laughs) to say, what I am is not measuring up. I need a new self, a new who. I need to trust that I could be a whose. that I'm not my own. I'm going to trust that I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That is more than a Pez dispenser God. That's more than a day at the park or the fair. It's more than just signs and wonders. It's saying a permanent, eternal change in my very identity, not just assurance because I saw something supernatural and now, or I went and I went up there and I saw all these kids gathered and they won't leave and there are people coming from all over and wow, isn't that amazing on the mountaintop, but saying, I am willing to lay down all my illusions and my very identity in trust that God has a bigger identity for me, a who's in place of a who. What are you doing? With your regret. You've got them. Regret tells you that you're not who you would like to be. Your regret tells you that you've never really met your own standard. Regret is telling you that, that you're carrying something that you shouldn't carry. What Jesus says is, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will what? I will give you rest. Peace. When the screens are off and the iPod and the AirPods are zapped and there's nobody around and there's nothing to distract you, do the regrets come? And what do you do with them? Where do you go with them? Do you go to, I'm just going to try it again or just try harder? Do you go to, hey, I must be so good because I feel so bad. There's that one. You know that one, right? It's like, You know, I feel so guilty, I must be a really good person, right? (laughs) You've done this. Don't hide from me, you're hiding. You know you've done this, right? I feel so guilty, I must be so good. It's all works, it's all earning, it's all our own standard, it's all creating do-it-yourself spirituality. Dietrich Bonhoeffer recognizes when he is in prison, in a Nazi prison in 1945, 1944. He's, he's about to be executed. And he, he's an inspiration to his country, to the church, to generations. He's an inspiration. And yet, he's alone with his own thoughts and wrestling with himself again and again. He says this. He writes this poem. He says, Who am I? They often tell me, I used to speak to my warders freely and friendly and clearly, as though they were mine to command. Who am I? They also tell me I bore the days of my misfortune equably, smilingly, proudly, like one accustomed to win. Am I really that which other men tell of? Or am I only what I myself know myself to be, restless, And longing and sick like a bird in a cage, struggling for breath as though hands were compressing my throat, yearning for colors, for flowers, for the voices of birds, thirsting for words of kindness, for neighborliness, tossing in expectation of greater events, powerlessly trembling for friends at an infinite distance, weary and empty at praying, at thinking, at making faint And ready to say farewell to it all. Who am I? This one or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Am I both at once? A hypocrite before others? And before myself a contemptible, woebegone weakling? Or is something within me like a beaten army fleeing in disorder from victory already achieved. Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Bonhoeffer knew he was a who's. How about you? Let's pray together. Holy God, how we thank you that you have made a claim for our lives. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us this morning. Anybody within the sound of my voice who does not know you, that they would trust you this morning. That they'd do it, Themselves, spirituality, even if they rise to their own standards, leaves us hollow and empty. That that the illusions are bigger than we thought about ourselves. That we need a deeper, (laughs) a deeper identity. Claim us as your own, we pray, through Christ.